Well, good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Today I want to just dive into the scriptures and we're going to go into John chapter 5. We're going to dive into a study today a little bit about beholding him, seeing him, knowing him, and all things really related to just loving him. You know, as we behold him, our love for him ought to grow. And I hear a person spends a whole lot of time with Jesus, but doesn't seem to have a whole lot of love in their heart and wonder where the focus of their time is. The Pharisees spent time with Jesus and they didn't walk away with love in their heart. They didn't walk away transformed and changed, probably because they brought a set of preconceived notions to a conversation with Jesus, hoping that Jesus would agree with what they already thought. I think a lot of times we come to God going, God, I'll believe in you and serve you and and I'll be devoted to you if, if I can somehow prove that you believe what I already believe, rather than coming to him with empty hands and an open heart, letting him transform our beliefs. You know, it's beholding him that we're transformed. It's beholding him that our beliefs are shaped. And so uh, we, we lay down everything we think we know when we take time to behold him. And one of the things that he seems to like to confront in us is areas where we are lacking in love. And sometimes that could be love towards one another. Sometimes that could be even love for our, ourselves. Uh, in other words, it's really difficult to uh, go around blessing God and cursing people, including yourself. You want a, a, a smooth pathway, let's say, of worship to God. That is one of the first things you have to do is be thankful for the life that he's given you. There's got to be an element of gratitude. I'm not talking about uh, looking at yourself and and, uh, thinking of yourself highly. I'm talking about being selfless in this idea that I'm not so focused on the negativity of my current situation that I let it cloud my ability to give thanks. That's the deal. Okay, so John chapter 5, we're going to read here uh, to start out with today, but I want to pray with you today that the Lord would open your heart to receive just a fresh dose of his love today. Thanks, Jesus, for this opportunity to come before you to step into an awareness of your presence with us. Thanks, Jesus, for inviting us into your heart, into your life. Lord, we just leave our life at the door. God, we we can't live our life without you. Father, maybe we've tried and, and it's not worked well. So God, we want to partner with you to surrender to, to a merger where you become the chief. You're the one in the driver's seat where you become a king of kings, lord of lords over every area of our life. So Jesus, today we affirm and give you that place. It's already yours. You're already the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we align just to agree with the reality of who you are. Thanks, Jesus, for for everything that you do and for who you are to us. And as we read your word today, God, may your Holy Spirit bring life and light to it and may it transform us. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. In John chapter 5, Jesus gave a solid rebuke to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of his day, for not being able to recognize him. These guys, they knew the Bible, the scriptures, the Old Testament. They studied the scriptures to the point of memorizing them, but they didn't understand their their actual 
purpose, which was, as Jesus quotes in John 17, 4, to glorify the Father on earth, to put the glory of God on display here on the earth, which Jesus said he did, he completed, and he finished that work. And these guys, even though they studied the scripture, they didn't understand their own identity as, as people made in the image and likeness of God, unique from all creation, for the purpose of putting the glory of God on display. What they did with the Bible is what so many people do today. And as they use the scriptures looking for formulas to create a set of physical standards to live by. Let me read in John chapter 5, starting in verse 33. It says, You've sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from men. However, I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father gave me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. The Father himself who sent me has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You don't have his word living in you. Now keep in mind, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. You don't have his word living in you because you don't believe him in whom he sent. So just stop for just a second here with me. Jesus looks at these guys and he can tell that they don't have the word in them. Why? Because he knows everything. He's God in the flesh. But he's going to give them a reason that the word isn't abiding in them. He says, you don't have his word living in you because you don't believe him whom he sent. In other words, the reason perhaps the word of God isn't alive in our life is because we don't fully believe in Jesus. We haven't fully put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, in the grace of the cross, the power of the resurrection. Have we let Jesus, our belief in Jesus, transform us so that his word, that which holds all things together, is living within us? There's a key for healing here. If you if you'll just see this, there's a key for healing. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. There's a key for wholeness in life, in believing in Jesus, where his word abides in you. And I would ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to us any place in our life where we have withheld our trust from you, where we perhaps for fear of disappointment or an unmet expectation, where we have held back from trusting completely and fully in Jesus Christ. We find those areas and allow the Holy Spirit to move our heart to surrender every area where we have held back trust to fully believe in Jesus Christ. And we will find the living word abiding within us and with us to the point where I believe we will begin to see a transformation, spirit, soul, and body. Now Jesus goes on to say, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And these are they which testify about me. Yet you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. 
Now think about that phrase for a moment. You guys search the scriptures. He's, he's not applauding them for studying the Bible. He's telling them that he knows why they study the Bible. They're not studying the Bible to have an encounter with God. They're not studying the Bible to know God. They're studying the Bible because to them, perhaps the scriptures will give a key to eternal life. And that's what I think people want so many times is they want eternal life without God. In other words, you can see it in their present life. They want abundance of life in the present without God. You know, as if, uh, if, if you stood up in church and said, if you come to God, he will make you absolutely wealthy. And then all of a sudden people flood into church. People think, well, what would be wrong with that? It reveals the motivation of the heart was not for God, but for wealth. God becomes a means to an end. And for the Pharisees, the scriptures, the searching of the scriptures have become a means to hopefully an end. But the motive was not to build a relationship with God. The motive was to set a, a set of spiritual or physical standards for some spiritual existence, whereby by their own efforts, they could somehow obtain eternal life. And John 10 details this where Jesus reveals that anybody who tries to come to God through any other means but by him, who is the door, that that person is a thief and a robber trying to get to Jesus through any efforts apart from beholding him himself is thievery, trying to get to God through any efforts but through the gateway, the doorway of Jesus Christ makes you a thief and a robber. In other words, you're missing out on something here. There's, there's, a, there's a legal protocol to a union with God, and it comes through one path, Jesus Christ. But there are billions of paths to get to Jesus. Here's the deal. Are you willing to lay every other path down, including the path of your own self-effort, or the path of a motivation that's greater than knowing him. If you have a motivation towards spirituality, any, any other motivation than just simply knowing him, knowing his love, letting him transform you, lay that motivation down because that's a dangerous place to be in. Some people love the idea of power. In other words, they had no interest in knowing God until suddenly they thought, oh, if I know God, I might have power. And so they pursued the power. And it reveals a motivation that is beyond even knowing God. It's something completely different. It's a warped motive. And so if you if you suddenly got interested in Jesus because, oh, you thought, man, I can heal the sick. I can go out. That, those are good things to do. But understand, even if you never healed a single person in your whole life, but you simply pursued a relationship of love with the Lord, that is all the motivation you need. Uh, what if you never healed a single person? What if you never did a single miracle? What if you never saw a single supernatural thing ever happen? Would you still be motivated to believe in, serve, and know, and love God? When you can strip away 
all of the adjacent motivations to just simply be holding him, seeing him, loving him, and thanking him with gratitude for the fact that we even exist at all. Then I believe you'll start to learn what it means to walk with a pure heart and and the byproduct of walking with a pure heart of pure devotion to Christ is that power will flow from your life. This is one of the keys, I believe, in in a fruitful Christian life, is walking with a, a heart of a singular focused motive, and that is just simply to behold him and to seek his face. Jesus goes on after he says this, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me, yet you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Now he says this, he says, I don't receive glory from men, but I know you. And listen to what Jesus says here in John 5, 42. He says that you don't have God's love in yourselves. Now, the Bible says in him, all things consist. He holds all things together by the power of his word. Uh, that uh, Paul said Christ is all and in all is, is an, uh, an in, inconceivable but incontrovertible reality that goes beyond our ability to even grasp or understand. But just because God holds everything together, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is surrendered itself to him, including his own creation. God's given you and I the autonomy of independence in terms of the ability for us to perceive a world of distance and separation between us and God, and some people prefer to live like that. And so when we come to him with humbleness of heart, we give up our perspective of distance and separation. We surrender it. It's not an issue of striving to get closer to God. It's an issue of surrendering that independent spirit to come into a place of union with him. It's not that you step into union. It may feel like that, but the reality is is that all things are in him made complete. And he's holding everything together. When we carry an independent spirit, we blind ourselves to the truth of the fact that we are in him and we walk as separate, distant. You can even have uh, heard the message of Jesus and still think of yourself as separate, distant, and independent because God gives us this beautiful privilege of actually feeling as though we have some sort of, of independence here. Uh, I mean, it's an amazing privilege when you stop and think about it. What, what is that? It's called freedom. But we don't use our freedom as a license for sin. And what is sin? Anything that gives us a perspective of distance and separation for God from God. We don't use that freedom to walk in distance and separation from God. Instead, we thank him for the freedom to freely love, freely serve, freely surrender wholly and completely to his heart. And from that place of free surrender to the Lord, we find ourselves in this awareness that the attributes of that image and likeness start to be ours. So the Pharisees could be completely held together molecule by molecule by God himself who is love and yet not have the love of God in themselves. How was that even possible? It's possible because these guys lived with such an independent, selfish spirit that they were not fully surrendered to letting the attributes of the very nature of God permeate their entire being. 
So even if you believe in Jesus, stop striving to get closer and instead surrender to be who he has truly made you to be, which is a being filled with love. No bitterness, no jealousy, no selfish pride or ambition, no offense, pure, devoted love. And that love will speak truth. That love will confront evil. That love will seek out more knowledge and understanding. But love will always be the foundation. We don't set aside love to speak truth. Jesus could sit down with people who were sin sick and they loved him. Whether they had the intention of changing or not, he wasn't forcing their hand. He's not an intimidator. To intimidate means to coerce through threat. In other words, you're going to get a response because you threaten people. We don't see Jesus doing this. We see Jesus absolutely loving people. And when the religious people come to him and say, what are you doing? They look at Jesus as if he's compromising and, and compromising in his lifestyle because of who he's hanging out with. And Jesus says the sick need a doctor. I promise you, not the people were sitting around him at the moment, they were not insulted by what he just said. Why? Because in his presence, they recognized that there was places in their life that definitely need to be healed. But he didn't force the healing. The Bible said all who came to him were well. It's almost like you had to recognize there is something in my thinking, my life, my world that is sick with sin. Something that have I've allowed to, to be a, a, a place of distance and separation from God. And here comes this man, Jesus, and he's offering me love, which I didn't thought I could get anything good from God until I got my act together. As if his love is a reward for our good behavior. And that's not the way it works. He came to the sin sick, the prostitutes, the drunks of his day, the people that nobody wanted to hang out with and everybody had lost respect for. He comes to them and they love him. See, love meets love. And the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. The first thing that happens is there's a love that's awakened in their heart. And that's the first step toward true transformation. And when Jesus looks at the religious leaders, acknowledges their diligent study of the scriptures, but because he knows and sees everything, speaks over them, I know you, that you don't have God's love in yourself. How devastating would that be for these guys to hear? I don't think it was devastating at all. The reason is because they had no value for the love of God. Why? Because they weren't looking for love. They weren't even looking for God. They were trying to find eternal life, period. And Jesus reveals their motivation and also the area where they have pushed away what they have access to. And this is, this is a, a really important to understand. Uh, I've said this many times in the past. All deception begins with a perception of lack. But the Bible says we have not because we ask not. In other words, we're not lacking because we don't have access to something. We're lacking because we haven't put ourselves in a place of humility to lay hold of what we do have access to. To ask 
somebody for something is to put yourself in a place of selfless humility, to lay down your pride and to simply make a request of somebody else, to lean on what somebody else has that you don't have. And the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with wrong motives so that we can spend it on our selfish desires. In other words, many times when we come to God, all we're doing is feeding our own selfishness, our own selfish perspectives of the way things ought to be. As opposed to saying, God, I recognize that I am lacking in this area. And I'm telling you, if you look at your own heart and you say, I'm lacking in love, truly lacking in love, come to him and ask. Listen, if gaining more love is your motivation, I promise you that's not a selfish motivation. He'll pour that out on you. But when he does, prepare to be transformed. Love doesn't touch your heart without transforming you. Um, You open yourself up to the love of God to gain, that'll happen. But you open yourself up to the love of God to actually let go of some things. And that means you're going to have to let go of some bitterness and offense at people around you. You have to let go of offense at people that have hurt you, people that have wronged you. The desire to see justice done from human perspective, human justice perspective, it's almost completely in opposition to the idea of human justice, to let somebody go free from the jail cell of the bitterness and offense that you carry in your heart. But the reality is, is the only person in prison is you. The only person imprisoned by your offense is you. It's an O fence. You built a O fence, an O-shaped fence around your own life. You find yourself imprisoned by the offenses that you build, that you carry. So, well, other people did this to me. This is what other people did. Listen, you can burn fences just like you can burn bridges. We burn bridges all the time of relationship with people. What about burning down the offense that we build around ourselves that keeps us isolated from the very people that God's called us to be united with? Uh, what we end up doing is we find ourselves in, in walking in justified division. So when we live in offense, we cannot possibly receive from God's love. When we open our heart to his love, first thing he does is he comes in and he sets fire to all of our offense and all of our bitterness. He burns it up with the consuming fire of his love. And now you look at people that have hurt and wronged you, and what do you do? You feel nothing but love in your heart. There's love in your eyes. There's love in your voice. There's love in your tone. It doesn't make what they did right. It makes it forgiven, forgotten, and restored to innocence. That's what love does, restores the standard. That love keeps no record of wrongs. I don't know how much more plain you can put that from 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That means that the record is expunged. It's expelled. It's gone. It's expiated. It's, it's over and done with. It's, it's the way it is. And to come to a revelation that that's what the justice of God is like is to understand, and we mentioned this past couple of weeks, to understand 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, I just draw you to the awareness that that is completely impossible for human justice system to even conceive of doing. If you have committed a crime and you decide to turn yourself into the police, you walk into the police station, you go up to the police chief and say, you know what, I committed this crime. I'm really sorry about it. I want to make it right and I need to confess. No police chief is going to say, oh, well, thanks for confessing and owning that. You're free to go. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and just erase that off your record. 
That's, that's not justice that makes any sense to humanity. Doesn't seem fair, does it? It's better than fair. It's, it's God's type, type of justice. He restores the standard. It's the creator restoring his creation to their original intention. But why? Because he's fully well aware that when we act in, an, in a way contrary to what he originally intended, that we're not ourselves in that moment. We're not our truest self in that moment. We're acting out a false identity that he didn't give us. And he is committed to severing you from every false identity that you've ever insisted on carrying. So the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when somebody's wronged us and we feel like justice needs to be done, then we come up with ideas of ways that they can pay back the debt of the wrong that they've owed. And you know that God doesn't do that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Think about that. And just. In other words, it's the justice of God to not hold our transgressions against us and also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to restore us back to a revelation of our truest identity. That doesn't mean we don't go and make things right with people that we've hurt. It doesn't mean we continue to walk in sin and walk in destructive lifestyles and destructive habits. We are freed for the purpose of doing what John 17, 4 says, to put the glory of God on display, to represent his identity, to glorify his name in the earth. Does that mean that we're tolerant of sin? No more tolerant than Jesus was of the of the uh, the people, the sinners that he was around. But again, he didn't force them into a transformation. He invited them. He didn't intimidate them into changing. He loved them into changing. And so the new covenant, the Christic covenant, tells us in John 5 how the Pharisees could know the scriptures and yet miss the purpose of the entire Bible, which is to surrender to that place of union with a God who by his very nature is love through Jesus Christ, receiving the grace of God and in turn giving that grace away as freely as we've received it. And when we forget the supremacy of Christ, we exalt the law, we find ourselves becoming biblical Christians without a relationship reflecting the heart of the Father. And Jesus came to reveal the ultimate message of the Holy Spirit. And that is the new commandment, brand new commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. Do you see how Jesus loves? That's how we ought to love one another. When you see how he loves, when you see how he gives, when you see how he sacrifices himself so that his life becomes ours, then you begin to understand how Jesus became in his flesh the very veil of the Holy of Holies and how his flesh was torn open. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus has ripped open his chest to invite you into his heart. And here all along, you thought you invited Jesus into yours. Oh, he invites you into his. You get to leave your life outside. Why? Because his life is so much better. 
So I want to pray for you today that the love of God would flood you, fill you, and overflow through you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for every listener today that today we would say yes and surrender our lives to you. We surrender to know you, to seek your face, to behold you, and to be transformed. God, whatever we need to let go of, Lord, help us to let go of unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, uh, anything of offense that we have built. Lord, just set fire to it with the consuming fire of your love. Lord, let us walk in unity with one another, devoted to this journey together, believing that you're leading and guiding all of us. Thanks, Jesus, for your grace and your goodness in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for filling us with your Holy Spirit, for making your mercy new to us every morning. We love you, Jesus. Thanks. Listen, you can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can also listen again at VanderbushMinistries.com. It's one of the best ways that you can support this ministry. Just go to VanderbushMinistries.com and click the Give button and what we're saying is brought life to you, then uh, we thank you so much for supporting us with your prayers, your time, your your uh, just to come out and be with us at meetings and, and so into this ministry. It means so much to us and keeps us going. We're so grateful for each and every one of you who have partnered with us over the years. We look forward to many, many, many more years of continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Thanks for listening today. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.